Hello and welcome to episode number two of the Muscle Engineer podcast. I am your host Sotak Andrei. I have the pleasure of bringing you a conversation with Gary McGowan, aka Skinny Gaz. Gary is a physiotherapy student at the University of Limerick and the co-owner of Triage Method, which offers premium online coaching and they also have a membership subscription called Triage Militia, which is, quote, the hub where you will find cutting-edge research broken down into a very easy-to-understand and implementable manner. In this episode, we go deep into fat loss, the mindset needed to succeed at it, and many of the most common struggles people face along the way. You will also hear some personal stories from me, since many of the issues we discussed I faced and still continue to face up to this day. So I'm sure you're going to take a lot out of it. Without further ado, here's episode number two of the Muscle Engineer podcast with Gary McGowan. Gary McGowan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Soltek. My pleasure. So in case you don't know, Gary is a very bright guy and um, he has recently finished a very efficient and very successful fat loss phase. So he has the proof in the pudding, so to speak. But he also has the theory and the knowledge to back it up. So today I wanted to have him on to talk a bit about his uh, fat loss approach that he uses with himself and his clients and especially the mindset that he has. Because I think that's uh, something we can all benefit from. So before we get into that, uh, was this the first cut you've ever done? Because your nickname is obviously Skinny Gas, so it sounds like you have a... A bit of experience with fat loss. <laughs> Firstly, thank you for your kind words and the nice introduction. Um, but yeah, in terms of like fat loss and stuff, like I don't want anyone listening to this to think that I'm any like I'm not like someone that has done a million diets, a million successful diets, and gotten on stage and stage condition or anything. I'm just someone that trains for myself, and my goals are very, you know, like intrinsically oriented. It's never like, like I've never had to prepare for a certain date or anything like that. Um, but I suppose this time it would have been my first um, kind of more extended fat loss phase where, where I was trying to get to kind of the lower levels of body fat kind of approaching that, you know, crisper kind of stage look, but still weeks and weeks away from that, you know, I'm still wasn't there. Um, but in terms of like previous diets, I suppose like like I'm only 22 like so I suppose I haven't had that many opportunities to have extended fat loss phases I've done briefer periods of fat loss but I always kind of found that I was I was just not in it really um so I never never dieted to get really lean before just because I my goal has always been just to enjoy the process and I was never really like like mentally I just never really committed to an extended fat loss phase because I just wasn't wasn't really in it and if I'm not kind of if that's not 100% my like personal goal at that point in time I'm kind of like why am I doing that so you know when it comes to my own goals it's always very intrinsic it's always very focused on you know what I want at that point in time as opposed to a date or something like that as you said so what changed what made you want to get to that level of leanness like you said yeah so I suppose it, it actually kind of started off as more of a a shorter diet um, so I was just planning like I had been maybe gaining for gaining consistently for quite a while like maybe like nine months without any sort of kind of break so it kind of came to the point where I had accrued a little bit more body fat than I would have liked um, and I'm both me and Patty kind of at the same time the same week we just said oh you know what uh, we, we were going to do a little tidy up kind of diet and it was like oh yeah maybe eight to twelve weeks which ended up being 26 weeks <laughs> but it, and I think I think that was one of the keys was that we were, there was no point where we were taking it very seriously if you get me we didn't have this like you know the whole like bodybuilder mindset like maybe more old school than new school where it's like oh I'm dieting you know this is it this is my life kind of a thing you know it's it's like it's the center of your life and it, it was never really that with us it was more like all right we're just tidying it up we just need to change around our calories a little bit, find the structure that's most adherable to us, and then we're going to just kind of go with it. And as we went with it, it was like, oh, I'm actually not finding this particularly difficult. Um, and I do think a big component of that was the fact that I wasn't so attached to it. And as a result, I was just like, meh, let's just keep going. Another few pounds, another few pounds, another few pounds. Until eventually, I, like my body weight was down like to 12 or 13 kilos in the end. Um, and at no point did it feel like it was, oh, this crazy transformation because it had been so slow 
slow gradual um, and progressive over time. So was the reason you took it that slow intentional or was it simply that you didn't, like you said, didn't focus, you were too busy on uh, with other things and just kind of happened uh, naturally or gradually? Yeah, I would say I would say both. Um, and I think the fact that I had been quite busy throughout that period of time and had a lot going on, it actually, like that really slow fat loss approach was far superior for someone like me because I didn't have to worry about the the mental side of dieting quite as much. I didn't have the, you know, low low physical energy, low mental energy. I didn't have any of the quote-unquote negative sides of dieting to deal with. So as a result, I, I wanted to keep it really slow and conservative like that because it made my lifestyle really sustainable. I was able to do kind of normal things. I was still able to like eat with my girlfriend or if you if there was an occasion that popped up, I could attend because I was never on super low calories and it was never a stage where I had to, you know, let's say do intermittent fasting so I could eat normal sized meals or something like that. It was just like real slow, real gradual. Um, And I know that does kind of, I suppose, go against maybe some of the approaches that are kind of popping up with a lot of people these days where kind of aggressive diets are becoming common. Though I guess you already had a pretty good eating habits established so you weren't a newbie, so to speak, because I guess there's a sort of balance that has to be struck between being, like you said, slow and methodical versus actually having results because especially when someone is kind of new to this thing they want and they crave that initial boost so to speak that motivation so what are your views on on this uh, continuum really because it's much more of a continuum than a black or white answer where do you lie and i actually agree It, it is a real continuum and i I wouldn't say that I'm against aggressive dieting by any means because I know that a lot of really intelligent people like Martin McDonald and I'm pretty sure like Danny Lennon has spoken about aggressive diets as well in the past and both of them people I look up to and they've spoken about the efficacy and and usefulness of, of aggressive dieting for certain individuals and I think that's the key. Like I know that if I was doing a shorter diet maybe where I was like I was saying all right I need to tidy up for four weeks I would be aggressive you know I'd be more aggressive because you don't have to deal with the like ideally if your eating habits are, are pretty good and you, you've been in a gaining phase or whatever and you decide you want to diet for four weeks you shouldn't really be dealing with a whole lot of kind of psychological like negative outcomes or physiological negative outcomes from four weeks of dieting so I think you can dig for shorter periods of time but when it comes to those extended fat loss phases, I wouldn't be a fan of kind of really digging deep like throughout that period. I can see how it is. it would be useful to be more aggressive in your approach for someone that maybe is on the higher end of, of body fat that maybe has very poor eating habits at the very start where maybe they're eating like 3,500 calories or whatever of just junk kind of sporadically throughout the day. And if you're bringing that person to a diet that is like higher in fiber, like higher in protein with an overall nutrient density, then if you cut them down to 2,500 calories, which would be, let's say, a reduction of 1,000, which seems aggressive, it wouldn't really be perceived as aggressive for them in terms of like satiety and stuff, if you get what I mean. So I think that person is going to actually feel so different in terms of like by like nourishing their body and whatnot. They're going to feel better um, in terms of their perceived feelings but also that they're going to see the results starting to accumulate and they're going to get this kind of this motivation that that carries over and you get the snowball effect where the person's becoming more motivated, they're adherent because they're getting results. And maybe for that person who's on the higher end of the body fat scale, if if you have someone that's 120 kilos and they come to you for weight loss and they're only losing like 250 grams a week or whatever or, or less, it's like that person's going to see that as being very, very small because relative to where they are and their expectation, that is very small. Whereas for me, let's say at the end of my dieting phase, if I was losing 250 grams a week, I'd be like, yeah, let's take that. That's a win, you know? Yeah, for sure. I guess it uh, comes back to your mindset. So uh, let's say someone comes to you and they say they want to lose, I don't know, 10 kilos, 15 kilos, and they say to you that, okay, I'm going to be a three and I want this rapid fat loss thing. So how do you determine if that is appropriate for them? Or is there a certain personality trait or a communication thing that kind of suggests to you that maybe it's uh, not the right approach to take? Maybe we should take things a bit more conservatively? Yeah, so I this actually happens a lot because 
just like the type of clientele that we kind of tend to get with triage it's typically people that have maybe worked with a few other trainers gotten poor results or spent a long time doing things themselves messing up poor adherence binging this kind of thing you know so they've they've been through a lot of different like avenues and things aren't working for them so like let's say you've got that real stressed person who's supposedly tried everything struggling with binge eating and they're coming in and they're like i want to lose 10 kilos and i want to do it now it needs to be rapid that person they're not getting an aggressive approach because they've already demonstrated by virtue of you know explaining their poor adherence and stuff uh, and the amount of approaches they've taken in the past that there's an issue here that we need to actually establish some sustainability because typically that person who has tried like five different diets they're not in a good position to start pushing into a really aggressive deficit again because ultimately you want as little barriers to dietary adherence as possible and if you're creating if, if hunger and cravings and low energy and stuff are going to be a, co a component of those barriers then like why not just remove them for a while and establish a baseline like that per that person needs a baseline whereas if it was someone that is more experienced let's say they've done a really like calculate like they've done they've done the whole gaining weight thing they're in a good place um in terms of like they're like all right i want to start a, a fat loss phase um i have a deadline or whatever of of eight weeks and i'm in a real good place like metabolically i'm eating a lot of food i've been doing this for a while and i'm training well everything's consistent it's like all right you you can be more aggressive that's okay you know if you want to lose one percent of your body weight per week consistently for eight weeks it's like yeah that's cool if that if that's what you consider to be aggressive so one of the other things you were pretty so to speak vocal about is uh, you weren't you haven't implemented any sort of refeeds or higher calorie days um i don't want to call them cheat meals because cheat days because that's obviously different but simply uh, structured refeeds or higher uh, calorie days why have you chosen this is it was it because you simply like you said didn't want to interfere with your lifestyle or was there something else behind this i suppose maybe like we would we've made like posts and stuff about this on triage about about refeeds and stuff and about how we're not too into them but i think to apply some context to that we're typically not speaking to competitors okay we're not speaking typically not speaking to people that are in the last four weeks of stage condition so let's remove those people for the moment and we're just going to talk about people that are like just general population because i consider myself to be general population like the reason i didn't implement refeeds was simply because i wasn't dieting aggressively enough for um like quote-unquote diet fatigue to be a problem so i wasn't dieting so aggressively that i was getting to the point where i was feeling already really flat really really low on energy or or, or whatever would cue you to refeed typically but I wouldn't say that I think they're useless either. I think they weren't appropriate for me in that context. Maybe if I dieted for eight more weeks and I'd gotten to the real nitty gritty of body fat, I can see how a refeed could be useful. But in terms of me, wasn't very useful in that context. I can also see how they are would be useful for people in terms of a, a more like a more a diet break or mental freedom approach. So for example, if if we like we we coach primarily general population clients so if someone comes to me and i know they have a lot of weight to lose if we think okay this might take 26 weeks there's no way that i'm going to tell that person you're dieting for the next 26 weeks and that's it okay and a lot of people will want something mapped out roughly for them because it helps them to visualize what's happening over the next six months um, and this was actually something that kind of tied into my own diet so it would be for that person, we might say, all right, we're going to diet for the next six weeks and then you're going to take, or, or, or let's say four weeks, and then that weekend you're going to have two higher carbohydrate calorie days, whatever, as a, as a sort of refeed. Um, and then that person's like, oh yeah, cool, I can look forward to that. Or maybe it will be a case that you might do that every second week and it's like, oh, they get to look forward to that day and it makes dietary adherence that bit easier. But I think what's more effective and I think what a lot of people that would have been initial proponents of refeeds are now moving towards would be like multiple day refeeds or even towards the diet break. Um, and the diet break was a big component of my fat loss phase that made this very effective. Um, because like, although I dieted for six months, I was away in an orphanage in Belarus back in May. So that was like, a it was very conveniently a third of the way into my diet. So two months in, 
I had two weeks off dieting. Then two months later, I went to Thailand. So again, two weeks off dieting. It was really convenient as if it was just built in. So throughout that 26 weeks, I had four weeks where I actually was eating at maintenance or maybe slightly above, which allowed me like a much easier time of adhering to the diet and reducing some of the maybe negative effects or whatever. Um, so I think, again, it, it just depends. It's real, real context specific as to whether or not a refeed is appropriate for a person. But who I don't think it's appropriate for is someone that is really like struggling with adherence on the verge of binging all of the time. If that person tries to have a refeed weekly, like they're just going to view that as uh, coach said eat more. I'm going to eat more, a lot yeah. more, you know? <laughs> yeah, because I was actually rereading Lyle McDonald's uh, original Guide to Flexible Dieting, and he says he has a portion there when he says exactly that, that don't take that as I, he said, you're going to eat a pizza and five donuts and uh, two burgers and what that. I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Cause the, but that, yeah. that is what happens. Like, And you can tell, like you know the clients that are going to run away with that freedom. Um, and it's actually something that I nearly use as like, like we're real, like, uh, like present in the coaching process. Like it's never, we don't have like specific methods that we work with, but there are like certain things that work for certain people in certain contexts. Like, and one of those things is introducing the concept of a quote unquote, like free meal for people at some point as like a test. It's almost like a test in my mind to, to, to think like, is this person ready to be a little bit more flexible with their diet on certain occasions and things like that. Because I think when people have spent a lot of time with poor adherence, like those examples I was giving earlier where someone's maybe tried everything, um, that person, maybe they've been adherent for three weeks with me and then it comes to the weekend and I say, okay, it's Saturday. This evening I want you to have a, a free meal. I want you to try and make it something that has a social component. So whether it's with your boyfriend or girlfriend or your family, I want it to be like, it's, it's a planned meal. It's something you're either going eating with people or you're cooking it at home and you're making it something that's actually meaningful. And I will tell them not to track it. And I'll tell them to look, if you want a dessert, cool. But I just want you to remember that this is a free meal. I'm not even going to ask you what you ate, but I want you to try and maintain control. And I think that gives them a sense of, okay, all right, I've got like, I've got an inch now. I need to take that or else it's, it's like that test. Like usually they'll come back and say if they, if they binge and messed up completely. Um, but I think it's nice for people to kind of start to view those like quote unquote moments of freedom or whatever, as like, this is a social thing. Like I, I'm never going to tell someone to, oh yeah, just eat whatever you want this evening. Like, can you see how that is very different from saying, make this a social thing? Because suddenly that's a positive experience. That meal was a positive experience with their family, with their friends, whatever they were able to integrate themselves into that social setting versus the person who is over there in the cupboard at midnight. And, and people do this, eating things that they don't even like just because they're like, oh, I'm back on my diet tomorrow, so I'm going to eat a hundred Jaffa cakes. I guess it's uh, psychologically it's very different when your coach tells you to eat something to chill a bit versus you suffering so to speak or resisting for five or six days and then actually breaking and just falling apart yeah like diet should dieting should never feel like you're like it's a constant you're just resisting something for an acute period of time it should feel like yeah there's a bit of a challenge there but I can get through this, you know. It shouldn't be this constant battle of, oh, when do I get to eat a proper meal next? Do you know <laughs> that the picture I've seen on the internet when it says dieting is like uh, riding a bicycle and the bicycle is on fire and everything is on fire? <laughs> Those memes, yeah. Yeah, they're funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, going back a bit to refeeds, what you were saying there that people might abuse them, I guess, if you talk about competitors, for example, they have a, they are probably going to admit it, they have a different mindset. So there are certain people who can have weekly refeeds, maybe two in a row, and uh, doesn't affect them. Whereas others are just hungrier. I mean, I know Mike Israel spoke about this. That's kind of like torturing yourself, you know, because you have that one uh, day or one meal or whatever, and you keep looking forward to it, and then Monday comes and you're caught back on the diet and you're stuck again 
looking forward to the next time you have that. Yeah, and I think if you can actually get into the habit of it, like, let's say you do use refeeds, like people that actually use them genuinely for their like physiological function, and they wake up on Monday morning after their Sunday refeed, they typically feel really good because you're energized and you've got these full muscle glycogen stores, you probably wake up maybe a little bit drier, you just feel good, you don't have that same hunger. Whereas the person that wakes up after abusing the refeed and, and turning it into a cheat meal, they're waking up with this dry mouth, their stomach's kind of sick, they're groggy because they didn't sleep so well because they were up eating ice cream um, or whatever. And then like, like it's, it's kind of hard to, to stop that person from doing that because they never really remember that negative experience from the Monday. All they remember is the Sunday and, and oh yeah, I actually... I like I like ice cream. That ice cream I had was really tasty. I can control it this time, and it generally doesn't work like that. Whereas the person that's done the refeed successfully, they've felt the benefits, and they know that oh, this could actually enhance my diet, my dietary process. Like if I, or that week after I had that refeed, I felt great, and you know what? I actually enjoyed the extra cereal and bagels that I had on that day. So I'm going to do that because overall, that's a net win for me. Yeah. You know. I think very often the people who are successful that what they do is they eat the same day, the same foods they would eat just in larger quantities so not this uh, entirely radical shift and even if you have because if you have poor food choices you can e- easily be starving on double the calories you would usually have yeah yeah no I completely agree um, and I think that is one of the things if you don't mind me going on a bit of a tangent that a lot of that a lot of people mess up on these days because of the advent of of flexible dieting that their food choices like you said that they might be different on a refeed day but that people don't actually keep their food choices in any way consistent at all like and i know a lot of really successful people that are bodybuilders and things that are really adherent to their diet like even though they promote flexible dieting they eat pretty much the same thing every day with minor variants whereas the a lot of the quote-unquote fit fam or people on instagram that maybe see this or whatever they typically see that and think, oh, all I have to do is hit my macros. Therefore, I'm just going to wake up in the morning and be completely reactive to what I want at that moment in time. And once I hit my targets, it's okay. And to me, that's a, a real good way to compromise your dietary adherence because you don't actually have any habits in place. Like if someone was to ask you what you eat every day, it's like, oh, Jesus, um, you just tell them your calories, but you're not actually able to tell them, you know, oh, my meals roughly look like this. And I think that if I hadn't had roughly the same meal structure every day throughout my diet, there's no way I would have been adhered to it because you end up just getting this thing, like this sort of, like people call it decision fatigue, where you have to make so many decisions throughout the day that you're just, and that when those decisions are compounded with maybe low energy from dieting or stress from work and stuff, you just end up making poor choices simply because you see, all you see is the numbers and it's like, all right, I've got 50 grams of carbs and 20 grams of fat to eat. I can have a croissant or I can have like two pieces of fruit and some dark chocolate. Uh, there's a croissant here. I'm going to have the croissant, you know, and then you kind of, <laughs> it's a pretty poor way to approach your diet. So I think having that flexible, that flexible framework that you work within, I call it the flexible meal plan. So like you have a rough structure, you have rough food choices. If they changed it from, on certain days, that's cool but you still want those structures in place. So just to give a personal example too, I I was discussing this with a friend. He's a pretty good national level uh, Romanian natural bodybuilder. He is very robotic in his approaches. He was telling me that, for example, he has certain foods he never eats. For example, he said he never eats pizza, he never eats donuts, he never eats uh, shawarma and that kind of stuff. Those are just off his list and... It doesn't even cross his mind to have those foods. He said when he if he wants to indulge, he eats instead of two apples, he's going to eat a bucket of them. Yeah, like I, I think that I think that's fair. Like I think it's I think it's probably like it's in a sense bad that you would have to like completely restrict yourself from ever having those foods because you know you're going to lose control. But I think if you're in the if you're doing that from the perspective of saying, look my diet is easier to adhere to when I don't have these foods, so I'm not going to have them. I think that's okay. Like, I don't think that's necessarily a negative thing, but like, I think you should try at least to get to the point where you can have things in moderation, like when you really want to, like when he really wants a slice of pizza, I think you should be able to kind of have it. No, for him, it's not that he thinks that he can't uh, 
control himself. He just simply, I mean, he has a bit of this uh, good versus bad calories respect. So he believes a bit that if you have these uh, cleaner foods, you know, you're going to put on less fat and uh, more muscle, not simply as a means of controlling your calories. He actually believes that there's certain uh, nutrient partitioning or whatever, which might be actually true. Who knows? We might find out in five years. So it's just he's for him. He's very uh, goal oriented. So he he always says that he doesn't satisfy his emotional needs with food. I guess in a sense, it's a healthy attitude to have. Oh, absolutely. And and we have clients like that. We actually have one client who competed recently, and she said, uh, "I have goals, not feelings." Mm. And like she demonstrated that throughout her prep um, and uh, like their personality traits. And I think that's an important thing to recognize is that those people typically have maybe some genetic and environmental influences that have kind of led them to that point. But I don't think it's a it's practical for us to, you know, if, if the client signs up with me tomorrow, I can't expect them all to behave like her or to behave like your friend who's a bodybuilder because like, yeah, those people real goal focused. Like I would never try to impose my own beliefs about work ethic and stuff to a brand new client who just signs up because they're going to be like, this fella is a lunatic. You know? <laughs> so. yeah. He's a personal trainer too. So from my perspective, that makes him completely unrelated because he has these moments when he starts preaching this. And I'm, I told him that, look, you just completely alienate those people. He has, ha- he has lost many clients, I think, over this. So he was just this too preachy. Look at me. I'm so good. Why are you so weak, so to speak? So you have to feel better by eating this or that food. <laughs> I see what you mean. <laughs> so speaking about uh, cheat meals and whatnot, I, again, to give a personality that I did this especially last year, because last year I got pretty lean, but I had these days when, I don't know, it's, it was almost like someone else was controlling me. Like I went into supermarkets and I, just, I was just going through shelves and uh, whatever looked appetizing, I ate it and I... And the, and the worst part was, like you said, they weren't even tasty. But I was the, I had this mindset, but well, shit, I bought them. I'm not going to throw away food because I, I, I wasted my money on them. I mean, spent my harder money on them, so I'm going to eat them. And and I actually completely like like empathize with you there because I've been there too, like in the past, like a few years ago, maybe when I was kind of just getting into like maybe the whole like bodybuilding kind of culture thing you know reading about what other people were doing and stuff and like i thought those kind of like those like cheat meals and cheat days i was like eh, you can't undo your calorie deficit in one day you know i kind of had that mindset so i suppose that was kind of what kicked it off but also it was like it was again i was kind of eating to just satisfy my emotions like that and eating things that i wouldn't enjoy all the time that I like on a normal day I wouldn't I wouldn't eat it but it was just like oh Jesus I'm back on my diet tomorrow so I need to I need to get this done today you know I got a lot of eating to do <laughs> um, and like typically that was at the same point where I wasn't satisfied with our other areas of of my life like I was working I remember it was a summer and like I was working a real a summer job that I really really hated um, and like when that cheat day had come around or cheat meal or whatever I'd be like oh this is great like you know because it was those moments of satisfaction but yeah, it is a real tough thing for, for people to deal with. And like like you said it there, um, a lot of clients will de- describe it to, to me just like you did, where they say that they feel like they're being controlled by someone else. And that's it. And uh, the whole day, it's like, no, nah, it's, just, it's just endless. It's just completely endless. Nothing else matters that day other than kind of food. And like, even when you sit down between meals and you're done, it's just like, like they'll, they'll explain it where it's like, oh no, all, all I'm thinking about is just, just food again. Even though I'm full, my stomach feels full. I just want more food. It's like, mm. it's a tough position to be in. Yeah, so um, it actually, because back in 2013, I guess, that was when I got uh, decently lean. Uh, but back then, uh, it was an intentional thing. So back then I was reading these articles that, you know, you have to boost your metabolism. And I was actually, so it was a pre-planned thing because Sunday morning I woke up, okay, Mom used to work at this place that made a lot of uh, baked goods and croissants and uh, this chocolate thing and that chocolate thing. And uh, she would always bring home a big uh, bag of those. And I would wake up uh, on Sunday and uh, uh, look in the bag and see which one looks the most appetizing. And I would pick from them. But no, uh, last year it was actually 
it wasn't pre-planned so it was almost i was going in a grocery store and i was simply like i felt this urge and i just couldn't control it so there was like having two minds in your head two voices in your head one was telling me stop it what you're doing it's you have fatless goals and the other was telling me oh it's okay you can always start tomorrow you don't have a set date you don't have to prepare for a competition yeah, and whatnot, yeah. whatnot. so so I guess this is one of the biggest challenges someone uh, who doesn't have a coach or a set date. How do you manage this? Because obviously if you have a competition going, it's in a certain sense harder, but in a certain sense easier too. Because you have the set date in your calendar and you're kind of, especially if you have a social media account or whatnot, you're almost uh, held accountable by that contest date. Yeah, I think I think there's kind of two components to this and one is, like and depending on the type of person you are, the methods will vary. But I think giving as many, giving yourself as many chances of success is as good as possible. So I'll start with the kind of intrinsic factors that I would kind of think of myself. So the first one would be like in those, and I'll do this for clients as well. The first, the first thing to to always kind of address on those days is like you need to understand your own values. Like what values and standards do you hold yourself to? And I think if you can, if you know that, like you know the standards you hold yourself to and what you expect from yourself, that's step one to kind of questioning those actions. But the second thing is to actually allow for time for uh, reflection or meditation or journaling or things like that on those days. And I know people are real like just, ah, that's voodoo hippie stuff. I'm not doing that. That's for girls, that kind of thing. But this is generally one of the most powerful tools because, for example, let's say I'm sitting here and I finished this podcast with you and mom bought a load of ice cream it's in the fridge and i'm like, or in the freezer i'm like i'd like that but in that moment it's like all right if i feel that urge i'm going to think about all right does this align with my goals and stuff does this align with the standards and values i hold for myself and then if i'm kind of questioning that and i'm still thinking about doing it then maybe it may be a case where i need to go and clear my head with through meditation but before you do that write down that thought so all right i'm i'm gonna go to the freezer and i'm gonna eat that tub of ice cream you write that down and as soon as you are done your time of reflection or meditation or whatever you want to do give yourself five or ten minutes regardless of what you do then you come back to that piece of paper and you look at it and you think rationally is this what i actually want to do at this point in time do i need this and then you'll actually find yourself kind of it's like you're almost like in court with yourself. It's like, oh, Jesus, that Gary of 10 minutes ago, he was kind of having a moment of weakness, but I think we can hold this together and get back on track. And maybe that won't work all the time. It's something I've worked, I've done with some, used with some clients. Some people find that they're in such a stressed state at that point that the meditation reflection thing, not, not happening, they don't even think about it. Other people find it really helpful. And the other thing is extrinsic things. So creating means of accountability for yourself for example as i said me and patty were dieting together like at the same at the same time so in terms of like it wasn't something i really thought about but i'm sure it was an influence to some degree because we were both dieting because we spent time actually living together during that period we're both kind of very headstrong and mentally focused on things that we do so you know and and we have the same business so it was kind of like one of those things where patty's adhering to his diet am i gonna go and binge and start losing losing time while he gets ahead and that's that's like one of those things it's kind of like satisfying that ego but also what you'll notice is that both me and patty throughout our dieting phases throughout the six months we done a daily accountability on instagram whether that contributed to my dietary adherence or not i don't know but having that daily accountability and actually putting up your weight every day in that photo like people are watching and people genuinely do take notice so suddenly you're accountable to these thousands of people and it's like shit and so then in that moment when you're thinking about binging it's like all right am i gonna lose to patty am i gonna let down everyone that's following me and i'm gonna let down my own values and then suddenly when you put all those things together it's like oh jesus maybe the ice cream yeah it it isn't gonna be that nice (laughs) but i think like those methods are going to vary from person to person and ultimately i think intrinsic ones are the most important ones to gain control over yeah absolutely though food is such a strong uh, influencer i mean it's wired in our genes to like these uh, hyper palatable foods so one of the things you touched on there was the importance of environment uh, like you said for example because for this summer i lived home for a month and it was extremely hard because mom I mean, I guess it's, I'm certain that it's a epigenetic thing, so to speak. I mean, I was brought up in a overweight family and uh, 
mom always baked cookies and cakes and whatnot so i'm sure that had an influence on me so this is one of the things uh, most people struggle with is this uh, environmental influence for example your mom or your girlfriend or your boyfriend brings uh, something delicious a cake or something and they tell you well just have a bit can't you just relax a bit how do you respond to that i think that environmental thing is actually huge i should have touched on it like i'm just gonna take a step back for a minute another one of the things that i do that probably contributes to pretty good dietary adherence is that i and maybe everyone can't do this but i order my shopping online so i order it i'm real like you're not browsing aisles at that point you're looking you're searching for the items you actually need so it's a real rational shop and suddenly all i have in the house is all these lean meats vegetables sweet potatoes potatoes oats nut butters things like that it's like am i gonna go and binge on just oats Mm, probably not whereas when you're in the aisle and and you see these these deals in the shop and things like like they're set up to make you buy them. So I let's say you go in and you see, oh, there's uh, all these nice granola bars that are sitting there. Um, I'm going to buy them because they're cheap and they're on sale and they're nice and they can fit into my macros. And then you take them home with you and it's like, oh yeah, you have one. And then suddenly you have six. Whereas if they weren't there, there was no option. And I think creating as much barriers in front of you constantly snacking or binging or whatever is very, very important. So I think creating an environment where you don't have junk food available but where you also have barriers in the way of you eating foods that you really enjoy for example like for me like eating a bowl of oats with some whey protein and fruit is genuinely one of my favorite things to eat like it is so tasty but at the same time it's not something you go and just snack or binge on because it's like there's still that barrier of i need to go and put water in the oats i need to put that in the microwave i then need to add my whey chop up my fruit it's like there's extra barriers so things that you have to cook making sure you have as much like single ingredient foods um, i think is another really really useful thing but in terms of like family and, and external influences there again that's a really really difficult one and obviously socioeconomic status and stuff comes into that where like maybe in some certain like corners of the world corners of your city or your town or whatever maybe there's a culture there for people to eat more takeaways and there's a culture for people to eat uh, less less vegetables and like there's not an, an emphasis so there's not sufficient education in terms of healthy eating so maybe if you were brought up in a family like that it's very difficult to elicit change whereas i think like for me personally like I know, like my family are aware of what good food is, what it means to eat well, blah, 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 because I've spent time rambling at them for years and years. And I think um, ensuring your family are aware that your decisions are based on your long-term health and not just your body is actually really important because that's one of the things I'll say to my mother. I'm like, you are literally trying to compromise your son's health. <laughs> and then she's like, all right, calm down, chill out. Like, And also just informing them of the benefits of healthy eating and why they should eat healthy. I think my family eat like they eat fairly well maybe they wouldn't have always there's still a lot of like there's a ridiculous amount of junk food in my house at the moment do i have a set recipe for how one uh, overcomes that i don't but um i think like some of the things i've used with clients is actually involving their family in cooking healthier meals so for example i had a client about i think it was about a month back and she was saying that when she goes home at the weekend from college, that's the point that she really struggles because her mother makes this big, like, I, I can't remember what the meal was, but it sounded pretty good. And essentially what I done was just, pick, I picked apart the recipe and said that you, you could replace this with this, this with this, this with this, and add in these things. Essentially just small changes to make it a bit more nutrient dense, lower in calories. And I said, you can make, your mother doesn't see you very often. You can now integrate that into your week as like a bonding session for you and your mother. You're going to make this healthy dish. You're going to show her how to make it. And she done it and she said she actually really enjoyed it. So like that was one of those moments where it's like, you know, this is the coaching side of things. Like it's beyond just macros. And I think that's what we're really getting at here is that all of this is real context specific and um, remove as many barriers from dietary adherence as possible. So from what you said there, I take it that your parents were pretty receptive to changing their eating behavior. What would you do what would you've done because for example i tried with my mother and she she doesn't listen i mean for example even if i buy her mixed oats with uh, dried fruits for example instead of those chocolate covered cereal thingies she just leaves the one i bought and is the other so it's clearly not a th- not an issue of i don't have the money to buy the healthier version it's uh and it's a tough one like because it's like you know 
regardless of how old we are, we're still the children in the family and you know they're the boss and it's like you can only do so much at the end of the day and i like if if people aren't receptive to education there is a point where it's like there's only so much you can do and i've i've spent time you know educating my parents like informally obviously just telling them maybe what's good what's bad what's why one would gain weight why that might be bad for your health blah 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 and i think like they both are aware my mother definitely makes more of an effort now to cook well and cook good food. My dad, meh, he doesn't really care, <laughs> doesn't really care. Uh, and it's funny, it's like you can always tell when my mom's on a diet because she'll actually buy more junk food, not less, because it's almost like that thing where she wants to feed everyone else. And dieters, dieters do that. They love watching people eat and watching uh, the food network and things. It's real weird. <laughs> yeah, I joke with my mom that she wants to make herself look uh, slimmer by making everyone around her yeah. fatter. <laughs> and the thing is, like, it's not that that's the worst bit about it. It's like when your mother cooks you a meal, like maybe it's really unhealthy. But there was good intentions behind that. Like she made it for you, like with good yeah, intentions. Yeah. She wants you to enjoy it. And that's one of the hardest things because I remember when I first got into healthy eating, I'd be like, oh, mom, come on. Like, you know, like I'm not eating that. And then there would be arguments and stuff. So I think ensuring that like your parents are aware or your family are aware, your girlfriend's aware or whatever, that this is something you're doing for your health, for your long-term benefit, and trying to get them on board is a pretty good idea. One of the other things that she says to me that I really hate is, uh, yeah, well, just don't ha don't eat it, don't have it. And people do this to themselves too. And they're going, they say that, yeah, well, uh, I'm just going to leave it there. 99% of the time you won't. No. What advice do you have to someone who has these issues? And maybe simply moving out or uh, switching around your fam your mother or for someone else is isn't really yes, an option <laughs> that's it uh, so we're still talking about in the home environment where those foods are just omnipresent yeah i mean in an environment that you can't really escape certainly with someone who you were uh, emotionally attached to yeah yeah absolutely i think i think the first thing is being is trying to take more control over your own cooking and stuff is probably step one um although that seems real baseline level it's it's actually important because there's probably people watching here that are still getting meals cooked by their mother <laughs> so stop that trying to take control of your own cooking getting in the kitchen a bit more and cooking your own meals and actually being prepared in advance and also actively saying mom i'm not having dinner i've cooked my own meal and i know i got a lot of resistance to that at the start but now it's just like normal because ultimately once you've prepared your food like there's far less of a chance of you kind of, you know, digging into the presses for something else if you've already got a meal in front of you that you've cooked yourself. So I think taking more control is always step one because if the environment around you isn't changing, you ultimately have a bigger responsibility to take control of your own actions. That's really, really important because like obviously it's much easier if you've got the mother that cooks the foods you want and the quantities you want and it's all perfect and easy to adhere to and there's no junk food in the in the cabinets. But like that's not a realistic expectation and ultimately you need to learn to just deal with that situation by taking more control yourself because life is not smooth sailing all the times so you could work in an office where you've got a lot you've they bring out cookies and biscuits and croissants and stuff at break time and at lunch and it's like you're going to have those obstacles throughout the rest of your life and this is one of the things i always view in relation to eating habits is like you're not developing your eating habits for this summer it's not the goal is not to just get something short term in place so you can get abs this summer the goal is to develop sustainable eating habits so that in 50 years time you're not lying in a cardiology ward prematurely 10 years before you should have been or whatever because like that that's ultimately the long-term goal and this is one of the issues i also have with a lot of the um kind of intermittent fasting approaches and things like that like unless you're like really advanced you're doing it for short periods of time like i don't think that it is useful to try and develop a dietary approach based around like intermittent fasting where you eat for four hours of the day with ridiculous quantities like even if that does enhance your dietary adherence you should be trying to get to the root cause and develop a standardized normal eating pattern because what i always think is in 10 years time when you have four kids are you going to still be skipping breakfast and lunch and then sitting down to dinner in the evening and eating these huge piles of food with Pop-Tarts and ice cream on the side, and your kids are gonna be like, 
daddy, what, what are you doing? You know, daddy, why don't you eat breakfast? You're trying to get us to eat breakfast. Like, that's what I always think. I always think of these like obsessive, if, if it's your macros people, 10 years down the line sitting around their, around the dinner table with Pop-Tarts. <laughs> that's what I always see. I actually find it pretty easy to restrain or to eat good when the others are present. It's sort of a, for example, if I'm in college, I always eat well because I'm not going to be the weak one who is going to eat the shit yeah. food, you know? It's usually when there are people who know me well or my girlfriend or my mother i'm not ashamed or sorry you know there's this stigma if yes. you're a fitness person sometimes people will ask you well, why are you eating that aren't you supposed to be the healthy yeah. guy or the fitness guy sort of it hangs around in your head so it can be actually easier in a situation like that. yeah i agree and that's actually one of those reasons as well where i'll always tell people that you know if they're having a, a free meal or whatever like we spoke about earlier to like like go out to a restaurant because if you go to a restaurant you're not going to be the person that says, can I actually get two main courses and three desserts? <laughs> Whereas that person <laughs> might eat that quantity of food if they were at home in their kitchen because they're just rummaging through the cupboards. Whereas when you're out in that social setting, there's that sort of, this isn't socially acceptable for me to order this absurd meal, you know? So it's funny how people are, are like that because, you know, the same person will go out for a meal and they'll enjoy that meal and stuff like that. Whereas they'll say that when they have their meal at home and they're eating the same amount of calories, they'll say, Oh, I'm not. I'm not full. I'm always so hungry after afterwards and stuff. And it's like, were you genuinely hungry? Was it genuinely a satiety issue, or was it cravings because you knew that food was there and it's easily accessible? So again, environment is such a a big contributor. Absolutely. So much of this, I find these uh, stories sort of our brain tells us. Uh, you were saying previously that you should cook your meals. For example, I've had this happen too when. Uh, I was out in town and I ate this crap and uh, then I remembered, oh shit, I had this delicious meal cooked at home and now I'm not going to be able to eat it because I'm full and I kind of went over to my calories and you sort of end up in this shitty place when you're not fully satisfied, you're not full, you're still hungry and you would eat but you know you already ate more yes. than you should have had so it's a bad place yeah, overall. I completely agree and it's hard because I think the more you know the harder that actually is as well because you can kind of get into this mindset where you you're aware that oh you know what it's actually okay I can go over by 500 calories today because once I make up for that tomorrow by increasing my deficit it makes no difference to fat loss and that's actually one of the worst things about being like really knowledgeable about nutrition is because you know all these workarounds but like your knowledge doesn't always relate to your ability to actually adhere um they're often very far away from each other and you'll often find that in that day after then it comes to the end of the day and you're hungry and it's like ah no i'll i'll eat that 500 calories that i cut out fuck it today you know i'm just gonna focus on today and then suddenly that 500 calories turns into an extra 500 calories and it's like oh shit how did that happen <laughs> i've seen this happen with people so like when people binge i'm big on being like no 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 there is no cutting back in a reactive manner we do not cut back reactively ever because that's just prolonging the experience so that negative experience we're not that you had on that sunday we're not prolonging that to monday and it's actually tuesday before we get back to some sort of normality what i'm more concerned with is people developing consistency so maybe if there is an occasion or something proactively reducing calories in advance that's okay i'm okay with that because it's like this was a calculated decision that we thought about rationally as opposed to being completely reactive because there's a big emotional component there that isn't there in the proactive uh, proactive approach. Um, is that something you've kind of maybe thought about or experienced? Yeah, I mean, uh, previously I've been back in 2013 or so, I've been a very hardcore IFYM guy. So I have pictures on my Instagram with a bowl of ice cream and uh, yeah. I'm so cool, I can eat I this. Think it's good. I think it's good though, <laughs> it's changing, definitely. Um, I think people are coming out of the whole flex bowls, fitting as much shit as you want into your macros thing. Like I think there is a, a very welcomed push in the right direction in terms of people actually focusing on good quality food, not just from the perspective of body composition, but from the perspective of health. And this is something I spoke to Patty about as well. Like I think that is the I think that's the next trend in the fitness industry is actually health coming back in and people focusing on is this sustainable for the long term? Is this contributing to my overall health? And the, the problem is that that is that like health is so 
subjective and vague that it's uh, one of those things it's hard to kind of convince people of like you know if someone's body composition is changing short term it's hard to say oh but you know these all of these vegetables that have all these phytochemicals whose interactions we don't really fully understand it, you should eat them you know it's not as convincing as saying you're gonna lose this amount of pounds if you just adhere to this yeah i think a really big part is actually is the holy grail is sort of uh, just being in control you know whatever you do because that feeling that i spoke about previously that uh, lack of control everyone has experienced it i think for example Eric Ramos has this saying that if you don't have eating disorder going into a contest prep, you're going to have yeah. coming out of it. Like you said, sometimes the more you know, I mean, I actually said this previously that I kind of wish I wouldn't know anything about this yeah. thing sometimes. Because those pictures with the matrix and whatnot, that what I see now is not food, but uh, numbers and whatnot. It can really fuck with you. Yeah, mind. and it's true. And I think, I think uh, Alberto... Nunez was talking about it on his Instagram story where he was saying that it's in the gaining phase in the off season when you're eating at maintenance or above that you really begin to develop those positive eating habits to stand with you for the long term. And I think the problem is that people spend so much time dieting and people spend so much time trying to develop eating habits while under the influence, if you could say that, of a caloric deficit that it's not really the same thing because eating habits that people pick up in like let's say a long-term diet or a contest prep they're pretty weird like you know you start eating like low calorie jelly and and yogurt and stuff and it's like is that a meal is that a real meal <laughs> you know um, and so i think actually like focusing on those eating habits when you're in a surplus is very very important because a lot of people don't do that a lot of people focus on oh i'm in a surplus cool I'll just uh, eat whatever, I have enough calories to play with and then those habits don't quite carry over. Like for example, people say, you know, nutrient timing doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, if you're in your off season, you've got a caloric surplus in your favor and you've got these full glycogen stores, you can probably go and train if you haven't eaten for three to five hours and you'll feel just fine because you've got all this fuel available. Whereas if you try and carry that habit over to a dieting phase where you're in a large deficit, if you haven't eaten for three to five hours before you train and you're in a calorie deficit, meh, you might have some good sessions, but you're more than likely not going to optimize your performance. So, you know, it really is context specific. And I think those habits need to be developed in a longer term gaining or maintenance phases. Performance aside, simply not being prepared. I mean, when you're starving, you, you don't judge rationally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Very often, I mean, uh, 85, 90% of the time, the reason I turn to those quote-unquote unhealthy foods or these higher density color density foods was because i didn't have anything better one of the things i want to circle back again just to really clarify it so for someone who doesn't have a set date how do you avoid it's hurting oh well i overate by 500 today it's no big issue because tomorrow you just eat less and the next day turns into a maintenance so you have two days already when you're not at the deficit so you wake up in a day and you realize that holy shit two weeks passed by and i haven't lost anything so how do you not turn a eight week cut into a 16 or 18 or 20 week cut um i think firstly i'll just say that those intrinsic and extrinsic things i spoke about earlier in relation to adherence they need to be kept in mind so trying to find ways of keeping yourself accountable um, I'm going to give you two answers. The first one is going to be the more me answer that I would give to myself. And that is like, be disciplined, <laughs> you know, have some, have some discipline and recognize that it is an absolute privilege to be able to select your food choices. It is an absolute privilege to be able to say how many calories I'm going to eat today and to be in complete control of my health. And I think I've had a lot of experiences in life that have maybe influenced my my mindset towards being so hyper focused on things in general but i think just the fact that i have those standards and values and stuff is really the big driving factor to how why i can adhere to a diet because it's just like am i really going to give in to the desire to eat some extra food when i've got all these privileges in my life and i think like that's a big thing for me another thing would be that like, like to, to add on to that it's kind of the same point um, but i don't want to pretend it's my own point because i picked it up from um, adam from physiconomics but he said uh, oh yeah choose your pain he was saying choose your pain so are you going to choose the pain of restricting yourself from eating that food like is it like which is the pain you want to choose restricting yourself from eating the extra calories 
and then feeling some sort of or feeling a sense of achievement or whatever and progressing with your results or are you going to choose the pain of the afterwards after you've eaten the food the extra calories where you've now got this feeling of guilt and stuff and it's like whether you do something or don't do something there is a pain associated with both and you need to be able to actually choose which one is more favorable for you right now but the thing is people don't think enough people don't actually make these conscious decisions it's always like a sort of irrational momentary sporadic decision where i'm just gonna have the 500 calories whereas if you actually take a step back and it's like ah do i need them Mm. Do I want to suffer that guilt, that day that's been taken away from me? Nah, probably not. I was going to give you a second, more kind of lower level, less hardcore answer. Oh yeah, giving like adhering to some sort of, sort of process goals is always good. So for example, let's say you don't have an end goal, but maybe you have a goal of progressing by losing 0.5% of your body weight per week. So let's say you I have a target, I want to drop 0.4 kilos per week and you actually still have that weekly target that it's been broken down to or maybe you have a check-in that you have with yourself, maybe informally or even just simply things like tracking your weight every day, writing down how many calories you ate every day. That's a very powerful thing is to actually have a log where you write down, I ate uh, 3,400 calories today even though I was supposed to only eat 2,400 once you see those to kind of add up, you'll be like, oh, I should probably pull this back. And I think objectivity is something that's actually lost very often. Like very, when, when dietary adherence is an issue for people, often people will jump to saying that, oh, no, you know, you're being too obsessive. You need to actually take a step back and try to eat intuitively. And it's like, oh, like intuitive eating, like very vague and something that doesn't really apply to everyone. Like often the people that are told to eat intuitively because they're overweight it's like they've eaten intuitively they've been doing the intuitive eating thing it doesn't work but yeah i could see the rationale for that but um i actually think becoming more objective sometimes is actually really really good because for example what we have our clients is we have like them track daily like a daily tracking document so they'll input the calories they ate every day they'll just put it over from my fitness pal or whatever and then they get a graph at the end and there's a calories and body weight are on the same graph so they can see that you know if they've gotten a few spikes in a row in calories where they've been poor, had poor adherence they're seeing objectively on a graph in a visual format that i've overate quite a bit and my body weight is also uh, going up so they've also got to report that to me and then suddenly you've got all these points where you almost feel like you're being judged even though that's not what coaching should be but it's still it's re- like feeding back to the person to tell them that look this actually is something you do need to reel in like once every three weeks you want up over by 500 calories or something yeah cool that's fine that's not a big deal but if you're constantly doing it every second day and prolonging your fat loss phase it's like you could be making better use of your time awesome answer i have one more final question and i have to admit this is a bit of a selfish one because i'm uh, in a similar spot right now so let's say you have a person who has done what i said you shouldn't have so they kind of wanted to cut weight and they went through this whole being a deficit over it being a deficit over it and let's say they've spent four or five months actually going back and forth and not really losing much which was pretty similar to what i did so let's say this person is in a situation where they have spent four or five months trying to diet trying to lose fat but actually not really getting uh, significantly closer to their goal and let's say they are now uh, mentally in a burnout place although physiologically they are at that 16 17 percent body fat for a male and ideally, we want them to be a bit leaner to start the gaining phase. However, mentally, they're obviously not at a good place to, to continue or to start a, another fatless phase. Where would you go from there? Because obviously, it would be easy to say, yeah, well, you have to cut down to 10% because P ratio and whatnot. Um, I think like the like the real best answer would be to actually firstly like like work with a coach on this and everything hereafter it's like okay you can work with a coach or not but you can still apply the rest of what i'm going to say i think that is a, a good time to implement a suboptimal period of gaining um and a short term or, or, or even a maintenance phase so give yourself a few weeks to actually let's say it's only it's somewhere between four and eight weeks and say all right i'm actually going to eat 
at maintenance or in a small surplus, but I'm going to run something like a strength phase in my training, for example. So let's say you maintain your body weight roughly and you have a strength phase in that eight week period where you are focused solely on the process of I need to increase my strength, my, my nutrition. It's just there to support this process. I'm not dieting. I'm not looking to change anything. Then once you've actually gone through that phase of gaining some sort of consistency, then maybe you can do that little bit of a fat loss phase before transitioning into your more long-term gaining phase. But I think it's a pretty poor option to try and keep dieting and keep dieting and keep dieting when it isn't working. And I think it's one of those times where it does call for a, a suboptimal period of a caloric surplus or maintenance, even though you may not be in a, an optimal position physiologically, because it's like, yeah, we're not just dealing with physiological, like, beings i'm not dealing with a robot that needs to gain muscle optimally like we're dealing with people that need to get their eating habits in place so they can actually make good gains long term and ultimately like people will shy away from doing that eight week surplus when they feel a little bit maybe too fat already or or maintenance because you've still got the desire that i kind of need to be leaner whereas you need to actually rationalize that like what does that eight week period look like in the grand scheme of the next five years like if that or even the next year like ultimately if that eight week period of maintenance is going to set you up for a successful eight weeks of fat loss that then puts you in a good place to spend six months gaining it's like that's way more satisfactory because once you've gone through those eight weeks of dieting maybe you're in that place of 12 percent body fat where you are 10 to 12 percent body fat where you now feel good you now feel you know, you're a little bit more confident in yourself and you can carry that over into a very slow, gradual gaining phase. Whereas if you try and just go from this point and do your six-month gaining phase, you're always, always, always going to have that, that like your hand on the trigger to want to diet. You're never truly going to commit to wanting to gain. And there's always going to be that negative association with like, you know, hitting your calories every day because it's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be gaining. You feel kind of crap. And yeah, you know, if you're if you're going from 17 to 20%, it's like you're kind of going beyond the point of where it's like, uh, is this healthy or unhealthy? And it's kind of like you're actually moving towards the point of like where you're probably going to feel a little bit worse in yourself, like physiologically as well. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it certainly did. Amazing, amazing stuff. So I guess just to underline this whole conversation, one of the most important things you can do is to find some sort of uh, accountability or whether it be a coach or someone to look over you because when you're into this whole fatless phase you're you're just not yeah absolutely and i think trying to do everything by yourself is uh it's it's something for experienced people and uh, so i think having a plan is really really important whether you're a coach or not a coach so before we get to the final question maybe you can let the listeners and the watchers know where they can find you your social media accounts yeah, that so kind of stuff. personally you can follow me on instagram as skinny guys uh but more importantly i'd rather you follow their actual business page where we put out a lot of content so we've got an instagram triage method and it's the same on facebook and youtube all of them are triage method and we also we run an online coaching service but what we've also got is the triage militia which is our kind of educational membership website. Descriptions like somewhere between 75 cent and a euro a day, depending on how long you subscribe for. Um, but ultimately, like we've got 150 plus articles in there, um, all of which are very comprehensive yet practical. So that's kind of, if you're really interested in kind of digging into maybe some of the more theoretical yet practical things that maybe some of the things we touched on today, we write a lot about that there, if you're interested. I'm sure everyone will want to check that out after the little teaser you put out here. So with that, you've the right to the final question that I'm going to ask everyone who comes on here. And that is, what is your definition of success? Oh, two components. First one is matching what you have with what you feel that you need. Because I think that's like from a financial perspective, if you want to like tie that in, I think there you do actually need to earn enough to meet your needs in terms of what you what the lifestyle you want to live. That again is individual. You need to know what sort of lifestyle you want to live and how much you want to earn or whatever have to do that. But more importantly, I think matching your journey, career, whatever with your your why, your kind of purpose is ultimately the most important thing. I think you need to be striving towards a larger purpose than yourself, whether that be helping other people or helping 
the world change in a way that is favorable that is ultimately something that needs to be ingrained in your mind at all times if you if you're going to be successful and i think if you can have an impact on other people's lives and on the world as a whole and you feel that you've had some sort of impact then for me that is success that's my own definition so with that we we'll wrap up this episode and i would like to thank you again for giving up uh, your knowledge and most importantly no your time thanks very much buddy and that was episode number two of the podcast with gary mcgowan i genuinely think that gary is going to be a huge name in the fitness industry in a couple of years and i definitely will have him back on the podcast in the future i hope you took at least one thing out of it and use it to make your life or someone else's life better and if you do please let me and gary know and make sure you check out all of the awesome work both him and paddy do at triage if you've liked this episode and would like to help me out you can share the episode with your friends and or leave a rating on itunes and stitcher also feel free to reach out to me on instagram and facebook just type in my name and you will find me easily the podcast is also available on youtube just search for the muscle engineer podcast and it should pop right up and with that we wrap up this week's episode until next week take care